what I'm doing now is like really looking beyond the influencer bubble and what, how can I add value to the world? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Humans, the podcast where we take you behind the scenes with your favorite social media creators to tell you where they came from, how they got here, and where they're headed next. Let's go. today's episode, our guest is Candice Reed, a fashion blogger based out of Columbus, Ohio. Candice, thank you for being on the show, first of all. Could you start out by giving us just some personal information about your background? So I'm from a small town in Georgia. Um, It's Bainbridge. It's about four hours south of Atlanta. So basically, I'm from the country, um, which is awesome. But I think, according to my mom, style has like always been like a part of like who I am. When I was a kid, they called me Miss Pocketbook. So I would walk (laughs) around like with her adult purses and also like her stilettos. So I think it just was like an innate part of who I am. But that was definitely like influenced by my mom. Like it was the 80s and early 90s. And so she had great style. So I think it just kind of like translated over to me, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So then... That was, you said, in elementary school, correct? Yeah, and like that, elementary that, school toddler. And then that carried on, I assume, through middle school, high school, and, and past that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I actually grew up, like, taking dance, so, like, I feel like the arts kind of, like, cultivates this, like, idea of, like, you know, costumes and dress up, and so you kind of, like, combine the two together, and uh, I guess that's really where fashion started for me. Mm-hmm. At what point did social media come into the picture for you in terms of really putting in an effort and trying to make something of it as opposed to just your own yeah. personal accounts. Yeah, yeah, totally. So based, um, well, back in college, I was competing for Miss Georgia because I wanted to be Miss America. Like that was my like life goal was to be Miss America. And so I think social media, when was that actually? I think 2008, um, personal branding was a huge part of like the strategy of being prepared for Miss America. Like that's really what set you apart from like being a contestant to like, I'm ready to go to Miss America and be Miss America. Um, so I basically at 18 started branding myself in preparation to want to become Miss America. So I started Mm -hmm. a blog and really started like putting this like stress on, on branding myself and what that looks like from like a digital perspective. Yeah. So that was early on. Um, do you have, any personal accounts anymore just in terms of like that's just your friends and family or is everything that you do more like the professional sense on social media so the only like private account I quote unquote still have would be a Facebook profile Mm -hmm. but even it's basically well curated too like because it becomes habit right um so like I don't really post too much there but that's where like a ton of friends and family would probably like find more personal things what's that like for you to kind of have to balance you know everybody else just has their normal personal social accounts is that strange for you or are you just accustomed to it now? I think I'm just accustomed to it now um but it's funny how like you'll look at people's personal posts like why would you put that out there I you tend to think of it everything from a marketing perspective even with your own like just personal random accounts so I'm just accustomed to it like it feels like totally normal and natural rather than like forced or anything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And at what point did you leave Georgia to come to Ohio? So that's a rather long story. I think I'll, let's see. I'll try <laughs> we to got do time. Okay, cool. If I you think, want to tell all of it, we got plenty of okay, time. Okay, it's a pretty funny story. Like okay. I'll try to do the Reader's Digest version. Sure. So 
I graduated from college um, in 2011 with like my BFA in dance. Um, and it was really my goal because um, I always loved fashion, but I wasn't sure that I could ever like actually make it a career. Um, so I went the performing arts route and was like, I'll become an editor in chief of a dance magazine. So I ended up moving to New York and started pursuing a master's in performing arts administration. Um, and while I was there, I was like, literally, I'm never going to make any money in the <laughs> arts because it's nonprofit world. Like they use all the money that they get from donors to put into programming, not right. necessarily to give people nice, generous salaries. Right. Um, and I was working at New York City Ballet and a lot of their programming included fashion, which was a really, really cool element. So that's kind of where the interest started um, to be like a prominent um, thing in my life. And then I got married and we moved to West Virginia. So I ended up not going back to NYU. And basically my husband was like, you need to decide if you're going to pursue performing arts or fashion. Like you can't have your hands in both pots. And so with the ultimatum, I decided to go with fashion, which I'm really glad that I did. Um, and I ended up getting my master's in fashion marketing. And then that's how I got to Ohio. Like yeah. uh, Columbus is an up and coming fashion capital. Um, and I felt like from a personal brand, it made more sense to be in a market that wasn't saturated. And Columbus isn't saturated like LA or New yeah, York. Yeah, definitely. When Candace refers to Columbus as an up and coming fashion capital, that might seem like a strange statement to a lot of people. But Columbus has a surprisingly strong representation of mega fashion brands that have decided to plant their headquarters here, including L Brands, Abercrombie & Fitch, and Express, just to name a few of the big ones. Yeah. How do you compare the two between like fashion and the fine arts, and what are some of the similarities and differences in those worlds? Yeah, yeah. So there's actually a ton of similarities, like just with within the arts, like. Um, if we go to like the analytical theory side of thing, like creating juxtaposition in, in dance, that's totally something you do that in fashion as well. So as far as structure of the arts, there's like a ton of similarities. Um, I think what's more different is, uh, with dance, it really is a, an, an internal thing. It's about internal expression that comes outward. And I think that fashion is more external expression of self. So that's probably the biggest differentiator between mm -hmm. the two. Cool. And with the Instagram specifically, um, when did you start to see that kind of pick up steam as far as followers? And yeah, yeah. What's that been like? So Instagram began to pick up steam for me probably in 2013, but that's because I was being like an Instagram hustler, like <laughs> literally stalking people yeah. and liking and like yeah, really right. engaging. Um, so that's really when I like, I actually made it a priority to, right. to put a strategy behind it. It's been completely drastic. And I think the, that progress is a direct result from just investing time into the platform. Um, Instagram, in a sense, like I would say it works for you as much work as you're willing to put into it. Um, cause it's definitely a strategy behind it. So it's grown a ton over mm -hmm. the last three years and it's really interesting. I'm, or not really interesting, but I'm interested to see how things move because the platform is increasing in popularity Yeah, definitely. and what that means for the future. When did you start to get inquiries as far as like business opportunities? Um, so business inquiries probably started cause I technically I've been almost vlogging for five years, but like the first two years, I didn't really take it seriously and wasn't sure like what to do. I was just fussing around. Um, so probably it was in 2014 after I did my first like real branding and created like a new blog spot, new logo, um, 
all of my hard work really kind of started to pay off as far as like I'd been doing a ton of stuff for free Mm -hmm. and then, or like reaching out to brands myself, but then the roles kind of flipped after I did that first major like rebrand. Yeah. Yeah. And then what does it look like today as far as how many paid opportunities or posts are you getting presented with? Like, do you have people in your inbox every day looking mm-hmm. to promote things or the inbox is always full like uh literally it's a good problem to have though it is a good problem it just becomes a little daunting because then you know i think one of the most important things as an influencer is to remain authentic right and so influencer marketing is so huge right now so it's it's not um it's pretty normal for me to wake up and have about 50 emails about half of those being like we'd like to work with you and filling them out and kind of seeing what the opportunities are um so i get a ton of inquiries on sponsored campaigns but my biggest goal is like i want to find the companies that i really jive with and continue to work with them so for me it's not so much about how many brands can i get but how can i find brands that align with like my values and the values of my readers and continue to deliver great content for them yeah definitely more yeah. like a long-term yeah. partnership with a select few instead of instead you know, of like 50 million posts, right? which they all have different demands right. and want different things and negotiating it just gets really that's an exhausting part of the job so yeah. when you can narrow that pool down or have the opportunity to it's really nice what are some of the crazier requests that you've had before from brands? Oh, yeah. You don't have to name them by name. I but. probably could even couldn't. Um, so the ones that automatically come to mind are like the Chinese like manufacturer brands where they send you an email and they're like, we'll give you five products for you to write about and talk about and style on your blog and we'll pay you $10. <laughs> um, and then there's like a language barrier. So those yeah. are pretty fun. Um all the dang tea companies that like (laughs) flat tea tummy, uh, hot chocolate for hair, like just like random products that you like would never try. Yeah. So yeah, those are probably like the most random outlandish ones. Has your experience through all of this changed the way that you consume social media or advertising in general? Um, yeah, definitely. Like you kind of always, and this is probably like a terrible thing to say, but because I'm on the inside, like you always wonder like what the motive is or if it's truly genuine. Um, so you do look at things with the fine tooth comb and like, what are the, um, like the photo, what is it really communicating? Like, yeah, there's this caption, but looking at it, um, in segments rather than taking it as a whole. So I think just, I just look at everything from a much more analytical perspective, mm-hmm. which I think is totally natural considering like the market. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, how do your friends and family like view what you do? Do they have a hard time understanding it or do most of them kind of get it? Um, I would say like in the beginning, uh, especially my mom, she's like, I have no clue like <laughs> what you're even talking about. Um, but I've always had very like big dreams. So she wasn't ever like worried or concerned cause I'm a total go getter. And like, if I want something, I'll go for it like as hard as I can. Um, and so as far as my family is concerned, they're super, super duper supportive. Like I got married when I started this venture and like my husband's family is just as supportive. Like it really is a family affair. Um, so like Jason takes a good deal of my photography and he edits all of my content. My sister-in-law helps me create a brainstorm. So it's really become like a really interesting way for all of the creative brains in my family to kind of come together and help me create something that's fruitful. Um, so that's been interesting, but on the flip side of that, it's also been interesting to see how it's changed dynamics and other relationships. Um, I recently lost like a really, really close friend. And, and while in that conversation, it was said that 
that my blog wasn't a result of that. I do think that like me continuously promoting myself and being in the public eye created some some differences in our relationship or our friendship. Yeah. So I think it's it can change you for the better. It, there can be positive results with family and friends, and there can also be negative results too. Yeah. So what would you say? I mean, that's probably one of the downsides of being in this space. But yeah. could you talk maybe about some of your other favorite and least favorite things about being an influencer? Um, so favorite thing is just like the fact that I get to do what I love. Like I, I love clothes. Um, so I get to play in clothes every day. Like what girl wouldn't love that? (laughs) Um, but in addition to loving clothes, I really enjoy like the theory and academic side of fashion. And I feel like I get to put that to use every day because marketing and fashion, like they're, they're so rooted in academics and I really enjoy that. So I feel like I get to put those things to use a lot. Um, and just the fact that I get to be in a creative element pretty much, you know, seven days out of the week, which is every day. Yeah. Um, so I get to live creatively and I really enjoy the fre- the flexibility and freedom that comes from that. Um, negatives would be consistently being connected, like being connected to society and the world and everything that's happening and feeling like you have to post. Like that can be a little daunting some days. Yeah. Um, and then those days when like, emotionally you just feel drained and you still have to create content that can be really really challenging too because I feel like when you are creative your work is personal um and so when that that those emotional things start to manifest and how that can limit your ability to create yeah. is sometimes a little um not scary but stressful how do you deal with that the days when you're not feeling it and you look and you have 30 emails and you yeah. have 100 notifications on yeah, Instagram totally. and 50 comments to respond to and you it just depends on the day. Sometimes, like, uh, I go through seasons where I just check out. Like, I'm like, I literally could have a mental breakdown today. Like, <laughs> I need to, like, step away and yeah. come back. So I'll normally, like, go treat myself to lunch. I like to call it a self-help day. Yeah. Um, whether that's go get a manicure, just, like, relax, disengage, whatever. Um, but normally, what I really try to do, I think organization is, is, the, is the primary thing and try to do that consistently throughout your workflow. So that way, when you do need to check out, you kind of have the opportunity to do that. Um, and then normally, honestly, on a daily basis, because I really do feel overwhelmed most days um i found this great energy supplement called rhodiola <laughs> that helps me like concentrate so i just like get my coffee have lunch is that hashtag ad on that no that's not <laughs> hashtag ad that is just like real life um that is just honest um so it's just like a great like herbal supplement so yeah hashtag ad can be a tricky balance for a lot of influencers Although they're legally required by the FTC to disclose any time they're being paid for a promoted post, many in the industry are not always complying. A lot of influencers fear that if their page becomes too bogged down with promoted posts, they might lose engagement from their audience. On the other hand though, an influencer who genuinely wants to share about a product simply because they love it might have a tough time convincing their audience that they weren't being paid for their review. Let's talk a little bit about the future, specifically for you and the personal brand and what you hope that looks like a year from now Mm -hmm. and maybe five years, ten years down the road. Um, so as far as personal brand, like, I feel like it's very important because the word like blogger and influencer, I feel like is starting to grow a little bit of like a, of a negative, like it has a negative impact sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, like, I don't want to necessarily be boxed into this like category. Like 
she's a blogger. Like I'm much more than that. I have much more to offer than that. And so one of the things that I'm currently working on is like rebranding myself as Candace the creative rather than Candace the influencer because creative like opens up your your pool a little bit. Um, and also just exploring other verticals besides fashion. Like fashion is my primary things, but there's so many other things. There's travel, there's beauty, there's lifestyle. And just exploring these other markets to see how I can add value to them. Um, and so in addition to just being an influencer, I'm a stylist. So I'm really trying to like rev that up because I think as the market continues to saturate, some things will change. And I just want to make sure that I've positioned myself accordingly and can adapt with that change rather than just sitting like on the outside, like wondering what the heck I'm going to do. So that's really like the motive behind what I'm doing now is like really looking beyond the influencer bubble and what, how can I add value to the world? Yeah. So what's the strategy there to stay ahead when... Every, when it does start to saturate. Yeah, yeah. So the first piece of my strategy was I went to um, graduate school. Right. I got my master's in um, marketing and fashion management or luxury and fashion management. And I actually read this article a couple of years ago, which even um, kind of created this chain effect. So Diane Van Furstenberg is like the president of the CDFA. And one of the things that the luxury market is talking a lot about is how oversaturated fashion has become and how that it's lost like its elitism. And so one of the things that they wanted to do was kind of decrease access, which I totally think we're seeing now. Like Fashion Week is now kind of disseminated all over the city. They're moving to LA um, and just kind of limiting people's ability to to access fashion. So I directly think that like that's gonna have an impact on influencers. So it's like if I want to stand out in the industry Understanding fashion from an academic perspective um, is definitely one way to kind of put me in a different market or have something different to add to um, the industry. So that's what I I did. I got my master's and learned a ton. Um, And then now I'm kind of moving into this new brand phase where I'm um, just showcasing who I am and what I have to offer beyond being an influencer. So lots of little things, but that's like the crooks of it. Definitely. So you've talked about how you see maybe the fashion industry changing in the next few years, but what about just the entire space of influencer marketing and social media? What do you see because obviously we're still in the early stages of it so nobody knows but what's your prediction of I mean like you said no one knows but I would say like I feel like in everything in life things kind of they pop like it'll it'll reach its limits I mean I think there'll be a select few of people who have high influence but for like a lot of you know smaller influencers there's going to be like probably a residual impact where we're maybe not as impactful um and so I would say that's probably what's going to happen and then we'll how life happens or even how fashion cycles like now we're back to 70s style 80s style I think that marketing will kind of have that return where we kind of return to some traditional media things in a sense and then it'll probably cycle over again so I just think that the life cycle of life is going to happen and we'll see what happens with that that's a great uh, perspective on it that's very interesting last question actually Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started out on this whole adventure Um, actually probably a couple of things Um, you have to spend money to make money even if it's your own personal brand, you have to be willing to invest in yourself to see results. And if you're not willing to do that up front, there's literally no point in even trying. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned. Um, and that you always have to continue learning. Um, learning is so important. Like I'm obsessed with 
researching and just knowing what's happening in the industry. So keeping your finger on the pulse and kind of even being ahead of the pulse, being able to make some, you know, educated assumptions on what's going to happen. I think that's key. Um, and just remembering to always like, if it's your passion, but don't lose that, find ways to refuel it. Cause inevitably you will have those moments where you're kind of like, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> but remember like why you started and allow that to kind of like always be your, your reason, um, for returning and pursuing it passionately. Awesome. That's yeah. perfect. Um, thanks for being on the podcast. We really enjoyed awesome. having you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Social Humans. Our guest again today was Candace Reed, and we look forward to seeing you next time.